Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. The documentary, An Unknown Compelling Force, examines the controversial true story of the Dyatlov Pass incident known as Russia's greatest unsolved mystery, an unexplained event that led to the gruesome death of nine student hikers in Russia's unforgiving Ural Mountains in 1959. For more than 60 years, the story has been shrouded in mystery and conspiracy theories, suggesting everything from UFOs to murder to a Soviet government cover-up and more. There's more actually than that. That's just a very brief overview of the uh, of the different versions of what happened. On on a journey to separate fact from fiction, adventure filmmaker Liam Ligiu travels under the radar to the very location of the incident to attempt to uncover the true story. In interviewing uh, Russian investigators, journalists, and friends of the hikers. And it is a wonderful documentary film. I, it's one of those that it just pulls you in and really holds on to your attention. And it's done in such a way that you really feel like you're there in the middle of all of this. The film, again, is called An Unknown Compelling Force. And we're joined today by the director, and that would be Liam Ligiu. Well, Liam, welcome to Film School Radio. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Wow, 60 years ago, right? I mean, this is a long time ago, completely buried as far as I never heard anything about this. And this came at a time when the United States and the Soviet Union were enemies. There was a lot of subterfuge and mystery around what was going on in the Soviet Union. How did you hear about this? You know, it's it's online quite a lot. There's a lot of... Um, uh, podcasts and YouTube channels and stuff all talking about strange mysteries from around the world. So I'd been aware of it for quite some time. I actually, someone asked me before, when did I first hear of it? I can't remember. It's just been in my mindset. I definitely follow these types of stories. So it'd been on my mind for a while. And, um, and actually I caught a discovery channel documentary about this a few years ago, but it was one of their sort of mockumentary documentaries so they started off as a real documentary and i was like i'm hooked this sounds like a great story really wanted to find out what happened and then they go into this idea that the russian yeti did this <laughs> and the whole thing is 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 such a sham and so that really was the catalyst for me i was like what's going on here why isn't there a real documentary and you know i just need to know mm-hmm. so how did you go from that to becoming the documentary film maker that this film is about well yeah really off of that that internet search and trying to figure out what was going on i just was googling around and i stumbled upon the the Atlov memorial foundation in russia and a chap called yuri kontesevich he studies the subject he's kind of like the focal point for trying to understand what's happening in this story and you know, I couldn't believe it. I, I wrote an email to him through Google Translate, and uh, he replied back. And that set this story about. Before long, you know, he was open to the idea of me coming to Russia, find out the answers for myself. And what I mean by that is to, to try and separate all of the kind of internet facts, which we can we know is a kind of a, a game of telephone, you know, people's facts change from one podcast to another, versus, you know, what they really know, and what things we know to be true and what things are probably true so that was it I was given an opportunity and you know I couldn't believe 
I was sat there one minute, it was just a, a Google search. The next minute I'm buying tickets to go to Russia. You know, I didn't stop really to think about it. I just went and <laughs> and here we are. Well, and this is a part of Russia that I, I, I don't know if it's called Siberia. What is the region that we're talking about? Because this is upper regions of, of this old Soviet Union, Russia, and probably some of the most inhospitable terrain you could probably find in the world, right? Absolutely, yeah. It is. It is in Siberia is one term for it. It's definitely the subpolar region of the Ural Mountains. Um, so it's incredibly cold. The winters there are really, really tough. There's no joke. You know, we went on this expedition. We went to the very location where these hikers died. It was a you know eight nine day round trip to get there, and. Uh, that was pretty serious because we're out there and, you know, we've got modern communication these days. We've got GPS communicators and things, but, you know, that doesn't mean someone's five minutes away, you know, and an ambulance is going to show up down the road. You know, if we needed help, it would take a while for anyone to reach us. And you've got to admit in those conditions, you know, without, in fact, what happened to the hikers, you know, without winter clothes and winter boots, they could have perished within an hour. Yeah. So, you know, that's a, that's at the back of your mind. You know, this isn't a safe place to be necessarily. And this is where you get helicopters involved if you're trying to get to somebody, right? This is not a, usually you couldn't drive up there. And, Absolutely and, not. No, we, we took, um, we took a long route of uh, snowmobiles to get there over a period of days to get yeah. there. So yeah, we would need to be, it would need to be a helicopter rescue. Let's talk about the, the students, about their sort of their background. There were Actually, they were started out with 10 of them. That's Let's right. talk a little bit about that, that sort of who they were and why they were doing what they were doing. Yeah, so it's very popular in the time in Russia to join what they call the Explorers Club. And there were different categories of explorers. And, and by that, I mean, they were outdoor adventurers. So they would be able to ski hike to very, very remote parts of the Russian mountains. And uh, they were skilled at it. So this particular group, they had at least uh, two members that were going for their third category, the highest category of training. So they would be able to be expedition leaders in other expeditions and, and future work. So they were skilled at what they were doing, um, but they were students. You know, they were 20 years old, 23 years old, that sort of age group. You know, fun kids. This is an adventure of a lifetime. They mostly have all been on hikes together before most of them all knew each other with the exception of one it was an interesting journey for them they were they were going out there to have fun this is going to be a real challenge exactly and that's the the vibe you get from uh, what we see in the photos from the people who knew them that this is it this was the adventure of a lifetime and to explore a territory and an area that was not well explored right is that a no no there were um it, the route they were taking was actually going to be the first time this group or anyone from the uh, Explorers University Explorers Club had taken this route. So it was a first, even to a point where they don't have the maps that we have now, obviously, but they didn't have any maps of that area. They were just very broad, mountainous region maps. And so they couldn't quite tell where the paths were, where the routes were. So part of their journey was to, to draw this map and find their route um, along the way. I want to remind our listeners that we're talking about the film An Unknown Compelling Force, the true story of the Dyatlov Pass incident. And uh, we're speaking with the uh, director, Liam Ligiu. 
at some point, the, the Russian people heard about this through the media. I don't know if they heard about it through state media or how they heard about it, but talk about the uproar around their disappearance. Yeah, so um, obviously the hikers were due to report back by a certain time. Um, when they didn't report back, um, the, you know, the family started to ask questions, you know, where, where are they? We need to send out a rescue team. Now, the rescue team took a little while to get out there, um, so that didn't help matters. And I think when they did start to go out there, when they initially found the tent, the, everything around this case seems strange. You know, they found the tent, but they didn't find the bodies right away. They eventually found uh, five members of the team, but four were still missing. Um, and the circumstances just seemed strange. So, you know, the the families, they wanted to know the answers, but also you've got to remember this is Soviet era Russia where you can't kick up too much of a storm. So what happened then was kind of, you know, again, the telephone game again was around the communities. People were whispering about what happened. Little pieces of information would filter out by some of the search parties. And that in turn started some of the kind of misdirection around this case. Well, and some of it sounds very institutional in the, the fact, as you described it, this was the Soviet era Russia. And in an in almost reflexive way, they seem to deny or try to obfuscate what actually happened until they could get a handle on how they wanted to spin it. I mean, if I'm overstating this, let me know. But this was kind of the nature of, of information coming out of um, the Soviet Union and now Russia at that point. And also, and I, this is where you're going to have to help me, I don't want to give any more of the story away than we need to to have our conversation, but it happened in an area, and it's described in the film, an incident occurred, which I had never heard of, and you said so, in, in fact, in the film, that was catastrophic. It's, it's not giving away um, too much to the story, because there are multiple area there are multiple theories around this story and, and one of the complicated elements to the story is that there was radiation found on two members of the hiking team now that to me was very strange and you know obviously points fingers back to uh to the military or the soviet union but I'm, during my research in this project i found out there was a nuclear explosion in russia in the air era that was you know the third largest in our history to date that nobody had ever heard of i then found there was a connection to at least one member of the team to this event so how that comes together and how that plays into the different stories and the different narratives is quite interesting and it's really it was really cool for me to kind of kind of tick off this big unusual issue around the case and to try and figure out okay now we kind of know something a bit more about that now it points us better back into a better direction um so that was pretty cool and thank you because once again anything that has to do with nuclear power nuclear energy nuclear weapons we never know the first story is never the truth right fukushima chernobyl three mile island and this event Abs absolutely i mean You've got to make, again, Soviet area, we're in the middle of the Cold War, everyone's racing for nuclear supremacy, and then all of a sudden there's a big explosion in Russia. Now, the last thing they're going to want to do is let that story get out. So you can imagine they're going to try and keep that quiet. So, you know, to some degree, this case was closed very quickly yeah. without really, a by the Soviets at the time, without a definitive answer. 
And in fact, the um, the title of my film comes from a direct quote from the case report, which right. says that this case was the hikers officially in their report died from hypothermia due to an unknown compelling force. Now, that's that incredible. Could be anything. That could right. be how, how, what does that mean? <laughs> so, yeah, that's, I mean, that gets you going right there. Like, what? <laughs> we got to figure this out. So um, I think that was really important. But I I think that um, this nuclear connection could have been in some ways why they didn't want people talking about this anymore. You know, they were keeping this huge event um, concealed. Now, even if there's a tiniest, small connection with one member of the team, that would have been enough for them to keep this all quiet. Again, why did this take such a hold of the Soviet, the Soviet people. What was, what did you, in your mind, what was the thing that really resonated with the Soviets? I think that, um, you know, they didn't let this story go, but it was only talked about in whispers during the Cold War because they weren't allowed to talk about it anymore. Now, after this, the fall of the Soviet Union, the case file was actually released to the public. And so the people of the area, the families and the friends at the time, they wanted to find this out. Now, of course, when you read the case files, it's full of inconsistencies. I mean, it has this ending, an unknown compelling force. Um, you know, I, I think if anything, that just, there was just fuel for the fire right there. People wanted to know about it. And, and so interest was just ferocious. So inside Russia, it was a huge story. People talk about it all the time. It's yeah. been on a lot of TV shows, but outside Russia, you know, presumably because of the language barrier, it's it's been spoken about a lot less. Yeah. I wonder if some of that had to do with in that era when when the Russian people got so little information and most of the information they got uh, was propaganda and it was more about the state and it had to do with their place in the world and fighting the the mar- the, the capitalists and all that. And this is a very human story. It's about students, kids who are just doing something that they really wanted to do. I, I think that sort of personal appeal would have really resonated as well. Absolutely. And you've got to remember, yeah, these were young kids that were living their life. They had a lot of family, a lot of friends, brothers and sisters. You know, they didn't, this story didn't go away for them. They wanted to know. And so as soon as there was any access to documents, they were really on it. Who among the people who were participants in the film and unknown compelling force have seen the film so far i have sent it to a couple of the uh the american experts that i've spoken to um and they've seen the film but in terms of some of the uh the russians you know i've sent them a message um but i think they're waiting for a russian language subtitled version that they can get a hold of which wasn't easy for me to send to them just yet so okay. uh, as soon as they get that it's going to be interesting because I've got to tell you the majority of the people I spoke to in Russia and who helped me on this journey and helped me kind of figure this out. They still believe that there is a strong at the time Soviet government connection to this. They, you know, but they've lived with this story for so many years. I think they've had that in their mind for so long that it's, it's fixed in their mind. And that's really the only way they're going to go with this story. But then a counter to that, a a Soviet journalist who I spoke to who um, was in the film and has seen it, she makes a great quote. She says, you know, if the, you know, we have a a quote in Russia that if you have no body, you have no case. So (laughs) if the government was really involved, I don't think we ever would have found those bodies or had known anything about this case. 
Yeah. And I will say for our listeners, I think you make a very compelling case for the possible outcome of all of this. And uh, um, I'll leave it there because an unknown compelling force is out on June 15th digitally. And uh, I assume that like the VOD platforms that we're, we've come to all know and love. And this was released through uh, 1091, a terrific uh, platform to film distributor. So it's uh, you're getting a lot of good backing for the film. And I would be dying to hear how the kind of the, the mainstream Russian takes in this film and what their reaction will be to this, because I think, well, it'll just be interesting to know how they how they do. Because in some ways, I don't know if it's quite akin to the, the Kennedy assassination here in the United States, because everyone has an opinion about that. And every no matter what you tell them one way or the other, right? Right. I have yeah. a feeling the Russians will kind of feel the same way. Absolutely. In Russia, this is their Kennedy story. This is exactly the same. It's a primetime news story. Everyone knows something about it. It's been on every TV channel. So yeah, for someone who's come over from the US to kind of look around at this story and try and take an objective view, uh, it's going to be interesting. I, you know, I hope they receive it well. I hope that they understand that I tried to take, take on this story responsibly and to try and look at all of the ideas and just present kind of a clear thinking set of facts. Um, but we'll see. We'll see how they take it. Yeah. And you're our guide in this film. And I think that you're very compelling, very passionate about this. And I think you gave everyone their due in the film to be able to explain what they thought had happened and why and how. And so congratulations to you for that, as well as the, as being the filmmaker for the film. So thank you. Thank you very much. The film, again, is called An Unknown Compelling Force, the true story of the Dyatlov Pass incident. We've been speaking with the director, Liam Legiu. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. 